Well, we're done with our series from last time, and I'm going to do two lessons back-to-back, well, not not back-to-back today, this Sunday and next Sunday, that are going to tie in together and hopefully kind of tie in uh, our overall mission and vision and what we've been talking about with Jesus and how we're being transformed by Him, how we're being conformed, or not conformed, transformed into the image of God's Son more and more each day. And I used that uh, Matthew chapter and text there because it kind of deals with what our vision and our mission statement is. You guys do remember those two, right? Anybody remember the vision statement? Yes, and if you forget it, it's right there to your, to your left, and it's on your bulletin, yep. Love God, love the church, love others. Now, how about the mission statement, what's that? Okay, yeah, look to your right, or to your bulletin, by answering his call to follow him and being changed by him, what do we do? To his mission being disciples making disciples, disciples making disciples, kind of following naturally what God, what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit has kind of set up already. That's why the, the title for the lesson today is Six Natural Concepts, because I think there's a natural flow of this and, and us and how God wants us to communicate his message. It's a natural thing. And by natural, I mean we've had a, an example of how to do it. But so oftentimes, I get that example muddled. And um, go over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me really quick. As this is another text that I think is important. It's important to me when I think of this natural concept of, of doing what our mission is. Just answering his call, following him, being transformed by him, and, and becoming disciples that make disciples. It doesn't always take a program to do that. And in fact, I, and I'm not sure what your opinion of programs. I, I know there are some good programs out there, you know, good evangelistic programs. But I've, personally, I've, I've struggled with most of them because they don't fit everybody. And they're not, they don't play to everybody's strengths. And sometimes when we've tried to do things in the past, it's a couple people are really excited about this or that. But then the rest of the people, they're not excited about that. And you don't get a big buy-in from the congregation. So it kind of falls flat on its face after a while. And that's, that may not be true for everything because I've, I've heard some real good examples of some, uh, it was a male ministry that worked really well apparently in California. And you could, it was, it was either you send things in the mail or you, or you drop them. We did it at Puyallup, remember? We were dropping things off at people who recently moved into the area. And we did that for quite a while, but the excitement was big for a second and then it dwindled. And we didn't get any real return from it. And so the excitement again dwindles. And it gets a little frustrating because you didn't get a full buy-in anyway. One of the people at, at Puyallup was really excited about it. And he, he thought, this will work here. It worked in California. It should work here. It didn't really work for us, at least. And that was that program. It was that structure here. didn't fit with everybody. But there is something that fits with everybody. And, and that's kind of what I would like to try. And that's what I've been trying to do in my life, and I don't do it perfectly, obviously. But Ephesians 4.11 kind of gives me an idea of some natural concepts here of disciples making disciples or evangelism, whatever you want to call it. 
a natural flow. Look at what Paul says from verse 11 to 15 for now. He says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Right there in those two verses, there's some natural things here. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And I'll just stop there for just a second, because... This is kind of the outflow, I think, of being a person who's sold out for Jesus. We have been given gifts, the church has been given gifts in order to equip saints, right? And the saints are supposed to be equipped for this work, for the building up of the body, to, to become a mature man, to, be, to get to that measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, which is a big, that's a, that's a big topic in and of itself. But because of that, we're no longer tossed back and forth. And because of that, we speak the truth in love. And because of that, something happens. When we do all these things, stuff happens. There's a natural outflow of, yeah, I think there's edification there for the body. There's building up of the body. But when the body gets built up and the body's doing what it should be doing, it attracts others as well. It's a natural attraction, I think. So, I'm going to give you six natural concepts this morning that I, that I think are natural concepts of being a disciple who makes a disciple or being an evangelistic person. And it's not going to be a program steps. I mean, this is not something you have to do. I think this is something that we are and should be as children of God, as people who have Jesus in us. The first one is, I want you to remember that it's all about Jesus. Now, that may sound... Stupid? I don't know. That makes like a duh statement. Duh, it's all about Jesus. But how many times do we forget it's all about him? Even in, even in evangelistic things that we do, sometimes it becomes all about numbers. Or it becomes all about the return for what we've invested in. But, it, but approaching things with it's all about Jesus might give us a better mindset when we attract or when we try to do things. I remember talking to somebody about a mission... That, that did cost a lot of money to send somebody somewhere. And, quote, unquote, there was no baptisms, no, no return on the investment. And I, that, I, you don't, I can't look at it that way. I can't look at it just as, how much do we get for what we sent you over for? You know, what's, what's the report that you're going to give us back here? I've had missionaries talk to me and, and tell me that when they come back and they do their reporting trips... You better have some numbers. You know, you better have some return on our investment here. Uh, you, you're definitely investing in God's work, but it's God's work. And if it's all about Jesus, then I'm not going to ask you for numbers. I'm going to ask you how many lives have you been touching? What, how, what have you been doing? How, how are you getting into their lives? And I think there will be some baptisms. There will be some conversions here. But at the same time, I can't look at this as just about numbers. 
This is about a heart thing. This is a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue. In fact, go over to Matthew chapter 12 and look at verse 34. This heart issue that Jesus tries to get people to look at is that it's all about... He's always pointing to the Father, and and we are now pointing to Him who points to the Father. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. When He's confronted by some people that want to take Him down again, who are questioning Him, He says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the what? The heart. The heart. So i got, I got a question for you here. If it's all about Jesus... If it's all about where our heart is at here, what is the natural result of filling our hearts with Jesus? That's a serious question for you. I want to hear your answer. What is the natural result of you filling your hearts or heart with Jesus? You'll speak about it. Okay. Anybody else? Lives are changed. Well, yeah, yours first probably, right? Yeah, your, your life is going to be changed. And then what happens? You're going to affect other people's lives. You're going to speak about them. Lives are going to be changing. What else? Deja. You'll have a direct reflection of Jesus. Okay, so they'll be seeing Jesus in you. Okay, they won't be seeing Deja per se. They'll be seeing someone who's bubbly and happy. But she's bubbly and happy. Why? Because she has Jesus. Because she has Jesus, right. Okay. Anybody else? Those are good ones. That, those are all good ones. And that, that's part of the natural par- process of, the, of this concept is if we fill our hearts with Jesus, then what people will see is Jesus in us. They'll see a man, they'll see a woman who is talking about him, who is acting like him, who is loving like him. That's why it's all about Jesus. So my next question for you is how do you go about filling your heart with Jesus? How do you fill your heart with Jesus? You wake up in the morning and you get ready for the day. What do you do? Pray? Okay. Prayer. Read the Bible. Okay. What else? Okay. So you're, make, you're deciding that I'm going I'm to take his direction. I'm going to think like him. I'm going to let him make my choices. Before you leave the house. Okay. You're getting your mind ready. To do battle. You're spending time with him in prayer. You're spending time in the word. Anybody else? Anything else that, that you do to fill your heart with Jesus? Um, hymns. That, yeah, that's why I was going to bring that one up. Singing hymns. That's, sometimes singing a song is really good too. Gets you, in the, gets you in the right frame of mind. Puts a little pep in your step if, if you don't sing slow. It, so it's, it gets you, gets you moving. Yeah, okay. Anybody else? Nature. nature. What about Nature. Yeah, just filling yourself with the beauty that he's created and, and reflecting on how, how majestic that is, how amazing that is. That's another way to fill our hearts with him. Linda, did you have your hands up? Mm-hmm. To consciously not let man or this world Okay. Keep okay. Be on guard. Be on guard. Okay, so yeah, when they do attack you, you can handle it the right way because no matter what we do, somebody will probably attack us at some point. But yeah, how do we handle that attack? Are we ready for those attacks? 
This, this is much more than just memorization, though, isn't it? It's, it's much more than just sitting down and memorizing this verse and this verse and this verse. It's, it's all about a what? What would you say it would be about? Continuance in prayer. Okay. De- describe it in a big picture. What is that? When we're talking about speaking. We're talking about, about uh, dedicating our minds to him. We're talking about spending time with him. What, is that, what does that lead up to? Getting to know him in an intimate relationship. It's, it's that relationship. If it's all about Jesus, then it's all about our relationship with Jesus. This intimate relationship. He wants to know you, and we want to know him. And we want to know him deeply. So we spend time with him in any way, in every way possible that we can. We spend time with him. Whether it's even walking out, like my brother said back there, in nature. And just seeing the beauty of God's handiwork. Carl? Yeah, it, it sort of goes back to uh, Colossians 3.16, let the words of Christ dwell. Richly dwell within you. Yeah. That, uh, you know, Jesus tells us over there in Philippians 2.5, mm-hmm. this might be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Yes. Right. Philippians and, and Colossians there. Yeah. Letting that richly dwell within us, having the mindset of Christ, all of that. It's all about Jesus. It's about this relationship. So number two, if it's all about Jesus, then who do we use as a model in this discipling process? Jesus. Yeah. And that's another duh answer, probably, because we've talked about Jesus as the model for discipleship already. And we've kind of looked at how he did it already, how he spread the word. If it's all about him, then we spread the message of Jesus himself. We spread all about him. And what is that model? We've already kind of pointed out parts of the model. The, the, you, you, talk to, you talk to him, and therefore when we talk, we sound like Jesus, or should sound like Jesus. We pray with him. We pray to him. We pray, we, he prays for us. All of this is, is constituting this intimate relationship. So what is the model that Jesus sets up for discipling people? Humility, love. Is, isn't it a relational model? Yeah, it's a relational model. It's a, it's a model where he gets into your life. Because what do you see him doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He gets into their lives. He's spending time with them, right. And even with the people, he spends time with people too. And who does he spend time with? Everyone. But he also spends time with some people that are very different than other people. And for that, he gets called to the carpet, right? In fact, I was going to save this for another one, but I'm going to do it really quickly. Luke 15. He'll spend time with anybody that will spend time with him. He'll sit down with anybody who will sit down with him. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. He'll spend time with you. This model that Jesus uses is a relational model. We've been in Luke 15 a couple of times recently. In the Father's Day sermon, Patrick used Luke 15. Bill talked about Luke 15 not too long ago about the prodigal son, right? This, this parable about the prodigal son. What's that parable all about? What's the point of Jesus's, Jesus saying all of this about the prodigal son? Who's that? Seeking the lost. Seeking the lost, okay. And... and in the concept of the prodigal son, at least in my understanding, the prodigal son is not me in this parable. 
I've, I've put myself in that position because it's easy to relate to. You could probably read that and think, oh, I've, I've been there. I've walked away before. And, and I've come back. And yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. But that, when Jesus is saying it right then and there, he's not talking about me as the prodigal son. He's not talking about a Gentile as the prodigal I think he's talking about the people that in verse 2 of that same chapter that he's now telling the parable to these Pharisees about. Because in verse 2, what does it say? It says, And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And what does Jesus do? He launches right into this parable about those quote-unquote sinners that he's eating with and, and spending time with. This relational model that Jesus sets up is a model where he sits and eats with people that these Pharisees and scribes think he has no business being with them. We're the ones that he needs to talk to. We're the ones that deserve his attention. Not these sinners, not these people who, who don't deserve his attention. And now he launches into that parable and says, these people you may think are sinners and, and, and this and that, but they're the ones that have walked back to me. You're that older brother who says, we've always been here. We've always been here. We've always done what you wanted and now are ticked off. Jesus is saying, I'm going to sit with these people who don't want you or don't, don't want, you don't want to be with. I'm going to sit with those people. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend time with those people. I'm going to get to know those people. Because those are the ones that you, like Bill says, need to be saved and found. The lost. The ones that are hurting. The ones that are broken. So if that's Jesus' model, if that's being all about Jesus, then who do we go see? The ones that need him. Which doesn't indicate just people, homeless people or, or, or people like these, you know, sinners and whatever. Because everybody without Jesus is, is lost. It doesn't matter how much money you make a year. So basically, we go see anybody who will see us. We'll sit with anybody who will sit with us. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you're going. We'll sit with you if you'll sit with us, right? That's basically it, because that was Jesus' model. I'll sit and talk with you if you'll sit and talk with me. I'll get into your life if you'll let me get into your life. I'll get with you if you let me get with you. So, it's not an isolation thing. So if, Jesus, if it's all about Jesus, number two is Jesus as a model. Number three, Jesus' model is relational then what do we need to do with those things? Number four, my, my answer for that is Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are working in us, through us, and with us. They're working. We do work, but they are also working. And a lot of times, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but in, in the programs that I've tried and, and things, it's a lot about what I'm doing rather than what God is doing. It's driven performance-driven rather than life-driven. And, and that may not be the case for every... I don't want to blanket, you know, all programs here. But thinking about the ones that I've done in the past, it gets down to what are you doing rather than, you know, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're working here. We just need to work with them. How do we work with them? It's not me doing the work necessarily. It's them doing the work. It's not me putting myself in the center. It's me putting God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in the center of all that. And we can learn which doors to knock, even though door knocking nowadays is kind of passe, right? It could be dangerous, too, yes. It could be dangerous. Yeah. But that's kind of passe. It could be learning. I mean, I remember a time in my life where I thought I had the exact Bible study to take somebody through, and boom, 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 boom. And by the end, you should have a, have a convert, right? It should be done. They should understand. 
Oh, I don't think so. It doesn't work like that. Everybody's in a different spot. Everybody's in a different place. And it's not exactly me taking you through the right scriptures. It's me talking and getting into your life, me learning about you, me showing you I love you, and God working on you, and His Holy Spirit convicting you of that sin. But that could take time. That could take years. Studied with one brother for years before he ever said, Oh, that's what I need. And I thought, why did it take you so long? But that, that's just where he was at. That's where he, he was. And we ended up in the right spot. But Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit are working in us, through us, and with us. It's not about me. And that's where you go back to Ephesians four, eleven through 15, and ending up in verse 16. Because the end result of all of that stuff is a similar thing to what he said back in verse 12, the building up of the body. But after we do all of this, after he's equipped the church with these things to get us ready for the works of service to the building up of the body so that we can be mature people in Christ. And in verse 15, we're speaking the truth in love. Verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The whole body working together here. It needs to be a natural thing just like the body is naturally moving with the joints moving back and forth and the and the, the the little muscles and the big muscles all working together and all of this providing a body that's moving same with us this natural outflow you do what you do because Jesus is in you you do it differently than me but as we do it together it all naturally outflows the way it should because Jesus has created this this wonderful thing this wonderful message that we don't have to necessarily put inside this little program, but all we have to do is live it and show it to each individual person in real time, in real life. So number five is, because Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are working, what do we need to do? We need to follow their lead. We need to make, them, make sure they're leading our efforts, not us leading our efforts. And for that, I want to ask you this question. How do you find people in your life to disciple? Does anybody have any, any insight in that? Have you noticed something that works? Do you have an answer to the question at all? How do you find somebody to, to say, yeah, that person is interested in learning about Jesus? Okay. You attract them? Right. Yes, there, there is a natural attraction. As you're getting into somebody's life and they see your life, they may ask you why or different questions that might lead you to a, a very good discussion. I, I want to I bring this up for, for how, we get, how we find people to be disciples because I struggle with that too. I look out there and there's tons of people you could, you could talk to and, and tons of ways you could try to make a disciple, but how do you do it? How does it what do I need to be doing? I want you to go to John 13... And I'm going to build this, this small little case for how we, how we can look for people to disciple, but by following God's lead first and foremost, not by just figuring out what's best for me, but following God's lead in finding people to disciple. Yes, that's a good one too. And that, that's a part of it. Yeah. John 13, 34, and 35. There's, there's some keys in here, I think about how we look for people to disciple. A new commandment I give to you, that you do what? 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, very simple question. How does the world know that we're a disciple of Christ? By our love. By our love for each other. But it's not just our love for each other, though, is it? It's not just my love for you this morning, or your love for me this morning. What else is it? My love for him, my love for Christ, yes. But who else in this scenario? Jesus says, you'll know by you, if you have love for one another, and, and we could look at that this morning and think, okay, that's, that's love for one another, but where else does this love that we have show? For those out, yeah, for those that are not a part of the one another, we need to have love for them too, which is why you need to go over to Mark, chapter 12. Verse 31, answering the question, what's the foremost commandment? What commandment is the foremost of all? 31, after he's told them you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I, Jesus is not going to restrict love to just those who follow him. He says, you need to love even the people that, that are outside your, your social circle, outside your belief circle. Your love needs to extend past that. So when Jesus is saying in John 13, they'll know you by your love if you have love for one another. Yes, but those people need to know us by our love too. Those people that, that, that don't believe what we believe, that think we might be crazy for what we believe, they need to know I still love you. I'll sit down with you if you sit down with me. And that's why over in John, I'll get you going back and forth this morning, but over in John 17, why it's important for the world to see that, they can't just look at me and you loving each other because, well, they'll think, oh, they, they love each other because they believe the same thing. But i got to love with somebody who doesn't believe the same thing because in John 17, in this high priestly prayer right before Jesus is going to go, to the cross, he says, verses 20 and 21, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for all those, excuse me, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as I, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. So why would the world believe? Why? How does the world see Jesus Christ here? In these verses here, he's saying that the world may believe. Why? Because they see us who is in him. They see our love for them just like his love for them, just like his love for us. They see us in him. And the world can see that and say, maybe there's something to that. It doesn't necessarily believe that they're going to eventually, or automatically say, oh, yeah, just because you love me, I'm, I'm going to say Jesus is Lord. Now, it might take years. But you're going to see a man, a woman who loves Jesus Christ, and they're going to say, we follow God's lead here. And if I'm looking for somebody to disciple, it's going to be somebody who's saying, why, why do you love me? Why are you taking this time with me? Like, like she said, the person that, that asks questions because of who we are. 
How are we going to find those disciples? That's how we do it. In fact, go over to 1 Corinthians, now that your fingers are all nimble. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Mark 4, Jesus talks about this parable of the sower. We should be out there sowing that seed, throwing that seed there, but we don't, we're not responsible for every aspect of this either because the harvest is, is going to be harvested and it's not even going to be me who's going to, going to cause the growth. When Paul is arguing for you guys shouldn't put one man above another, you should be putting Christ above all, in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing what? The increase. He's causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are working with God and we follow God's lead. God causes the growth. We water, we plant. doesn't matter who does what. But God is giving the increase here. It's not the performance-driven thing of it's me getting the right program, getting the right things, getting the right sets of scriptures. It's God working and it's me following God's lead as he's working and letting him work and letting him cause the growth. That's number five. So number six, the last one here in natural concepts is... Sometimes it feels like failure. And I, have, have you experienced failure in your life? doesn't feel good, but it is natural. And sometimes we learn best when we fail. But sometimes it does feel like failure. Studying with, with that one gentleman, who is, we sat down and we talked every Monday. And it felt like we were going over the same stuff every Monday. And I felt like banging my head against the wall every once in a while. But it's, it's God causing the growth. It's God's timing here. And I felt like I am done with this. You're not seeing it. I could be doing other things on Monday. I got, I got places to go, people to see, right? But no. Sticking with it, sticking with what I thought was failing eventually in God's timing, it worked. But I'm thinking all this time, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. I'm not, I'm not getting him... To understand, I'm not, getting, I'm not getting through to him. And then, boom, God gets through to him. I didn't see it coming. But we're working with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and we're coupled in that trust with him. I want you to go over to 2 Corinthians, the last couple scriptures I'm going to give you here. Fingers are almost done this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We... We've got our own failures. We've got our own struggles. Paul had them too. And he's talking about his struggle here, his, his, his thing that, that God has given him in, in order to kind of keep him from boasting and exalting himself. And in verse 9 he says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Our weaknesses are really God's opportunity to shine. God's opportunity to use us. So when we feel like we're failing, when we feel like we're falling flat on our face, it could be that weakness showing through. And God is saying, you hold on because I'm about to show up. Well, he's already there. 
But I'm about, to, I'm about to impress you with what I'm about to do. I'm about to show you what I'm about to do. His power is going to be perfected in my weakness. I've just got to let him work through that weakness. It's not about me. It's about him. Go a couple chapters over to chapter 4. God's opportunity to shine. Jesus' opportunity to shine. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We carry this treasure in earthen vessels so that God can be glorified. Because it's not my wisdom or my, my superiority of speech that will convict somebody. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to convict them. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to touch their heart. It's Jesus that's going to break through and finally say, you getting this? It's not going to be me. I have this treasure in earthen vessels, and God has done this on purpose so that he can be glorified. It talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians as well. That the, the purpose is to glorify God, not us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about how he lived. It's all about how he interacted with people, and it's all about how he died. And that's for you and me. These six natural concepts, I think, are much better than sitting down and... and creating a program, because if we just do what we're supposed to do as Christians, then this stuff gets done. It's usually me not doing what I should normally do as a Christian. It's like Bill said this morning, sometimes we're in a crowd of people and you're ashamed to be called a Christian, or you don't want to point out that, yeah, I'm a Christian. You have those moments of, I don't want to talk about Jesus at this point. Those moments of self-doubt, those moments of doubt in your faith. Use these six natural concepts as we come off all of this talking of how Jesus transforms us, how Jesus discipled. These six natural concepts of discipleship should be just an outflow of who we are. People of Jesus. People who have been touched by Jesus, changed by Jesus, and therefore we show that to everybody else. I'm going to follow this up next week with seven, the seven habits that John showed us uh, at the beginning of this month. It's the beginning of this month? I was... Something last that was last week, man. Okay, time time is irrelative. It's, it's, but last week, it's yeah. Since I'm 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 all alone at home, it's kind of like every day is the same. No, 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 no. I'm having a great time. Don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Yeah, uh, I'm all right. It's just like every day is, is the same. But anyway, that that doesn't even matter. Uh, how we get on this point? Jared, did you get me distracted? Yes, I did. Yeah, you did. Okay. Well, seven, seven, natural, concept, or seven natural habits now of, of us. Seven things that, that will be a part of our lives if we are living this way, and, and these six natural concepts will flow into these seven natural habits that will just be a part of our life and will help us reach out to everybody that we see to touch people's lives like Jesus touched their lives, to be in their lives like Jesus was in their lives. Because that's the key. It's relational. It's a relationship with him. It's a relationship with others. Work on that relationship with him this week so that you can work on that relationship with others as well. Do that as we stand and as we sing.